We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Today, we're going to continue on in Revelation chapter 17. We've been talking about the story of the dragon the last few episodes. We started out in Revelation 12, where the dragon is behind the scenes. What is he trying to do? He's trying to devour the Son of God, the the Messiah. He fails. Then the dragon goes after the woman. He pursues her. She flees to the wilderness. Then he comes at her again to sweep her away. And the earth comes to her aid, protects the woman, The dragon stomps off in fury to go make war against the saints. That's Revelation chapter 12. Then we get into Revelation 13. John turns his eyes from heaven down to the earth. He sees the beast, seven-headed beast, rising out of the sea. Who is this beast? This is the seven-headed dragon has come to the earth. The dragon is now on the earth as the beast. What's this beast doing? He's continuing what the dragon was doing. He was, remember in Revelation 12, he's stomping off to go to make war against the saints. That's exactly what he's doing in Revelation 13. The seven-headed beast is making war against the saints. Why? Well, first things first, the beast needs to quell all resistance. Remember, we're dealing with Apollyon. This is the destroyer. What's he want to do? He wants to destroy God's creation. He wants to expel God from his own creation. He thinks he's doing everybody a favor. He's actually just destroying everything. This is Apollyon. He destroys things. That's what he does. So he comes to earth. He quells resistance. He goes to war. The war that he was waging in heaven is now being waged on the earth in Revelation 13, making war against the saints. And then part two with the help of the false prophet, the one with the horns like a lamb, the counterfeit Messiah. The beast enters phase two, which is the onboarding of fallen humanity, right? Quell resistance and then onboard fallen humanity. How do they onboard humanity? They do it in two ways. The false prophet and the beast onboard fallen humanity through the worship of the beast And through the mark of the beast, the marking of the right hand and the forehead of the fallen, marking them with the name, the nature, the number, the numerical nature, the digital nature of the beast, the fallen are being marked. Step one, quell resistance. Step two, onboard the fallen. That was the story of the dragon. Then we get to pop the hood on what is happening here, right? We, once we understand the story, the overarching plot of what's going on, the quelling of resistance, the onboarding of the fallen, we then go to Revelation chapter 17. We pop the hood, right? God says, all right, John, I'm going to show you the engine of what's going on here, right? We're going to the warp core, of, this, uh, of the enterprise, right? The, we're going into the, the belly of the beast and we're seeing 
what's happening at the core of this reality, John sees in Revelation chapter 17, he sees a prostitute, a great prostitute, riding on the back of the seven-headed beast, the scarlet beast. In the last episode, we talked about that being the governmental uh, core reality of the final empire. We said, I said, I don't know if anybody else is saying it yet, but I said it, so let me off. <laughs> I won't say we until a few more people start saying it. But I said, uh, this is a revelation of SPQR, the acronym that sums up the governmental structure of the Roman Empire. What does the SPQR acronym stand for? It stands for the Senate and People of Rome. So when God shows John the engine of the empire, when, John, when God shows John the beast and the prostitute who's riding on the back of the beast... God is showing John SPQR, the Senate and the people of Rome. This is a governing um, reality that does not extend from a king, right? Up until the Roman Empire, the world was ruled by kings, right? Single men, men like Nebuchadnezzar, men like Cyrus, men like Alexander the Great extended themselves through their kingdom. But then Rome came and they extinguished. They, they got rid of their kings. They despised the kings. They didn't want to be ruled by one man. They wanted the citizenry. They wanted the people to rule. So instead of the power of the empire coming from one man, Rome switches it and approaches it from a hive intelligence a swarm intelligence. It isn't just one man that rules the empire. No, now it's the power is in the people. The empire is governed. The decisions are being made in the populace. It is a swarm hive intelligence that governs Rome. It's what makes Rome unstoppable. No king, it would seem, could stand against the Roman horde, the Roman intelligence. The, the, the Roman government began with the Roman citizen. Then that, that broad-based will and intelligence of the Roman people were consolidated down, were funneled into a senate a Senate that would represent the will and intelligence of the Roman people. And the Senate would make the decisions to represent the people. And once those decisions were made in the Senate, the will of the people were executed, the, were brought to pass in the consul, the supreme authority, the point of the spear of Rome was in the consul. Now remember the consul, these two men who were appointed, you could only be a consul for one year because they, the last thing the Romans wanted was to create new kings that would rule over everyone. So they, but they needed to be able to execute their will. So they elected these two men that would carry out the will of the people. 
So it wasn't that the two men would come up with the idea, right? It was, it was uh, like let's just say, hey, the Gauls are you know the 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 the, the country you know modern day France you know back in those days called Gaul. You know, they're getting, they're unwieldy, they're attacking, they're, they're taking our, our territory. The will of the people is to, uh, let's go attack our enemies, the Gauls, and let's, let's go and subject them to Roman rule. And so the, the, the Roman people decide they want to go to war against their enemy. The Senate decides, yes, we're going to do that. That's the plan the, the Roman people want. So that's what we're going to do. Now, the consul, those two guys are tasked by the Senate, who's representing the will and the intelligence of the Roman people, to carry out, to execute the will of the people. That's what the council would do. Then the council, those two guys would march out and they would take the the Roman brigades, the the Roman troops, and, and marshal them, gather them, marshal them. The Roman troops would swear allegiance to the council, and then they would march out and go take over Gaul, right? So the supreme authority of the Roman government rested in the hands of two men and this consul. But this consul, was, they were not kings. They were simply there to execute the will of the people. So that is the engine of ancient Rome. That's how, that's how the, the Roman Republic was designed to operate. And I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts of that particular design as it relates to the final beast empire and how the 10 kings, the 10 human kings, relate to the seven heads of the beast. I'm going to get into that in a later episode. But for today, what I want to focus in on, I'm actually going to break up the, the, the anatomy, the, the dissecting of the beast into a, a, you know, two or three different episodes here. So the last episode was just the outlay of the land. We, we popped the hood on this transhuman empire that rises in the, in the last day, right? This is the, the empire of iron and clay. This is the empire that Daniel saw that was made out of iron teeth and bronze claws that had 10 horns. This is, this is the, the final empire that's been prophesied for, you know, what, 2,500 years um, since, since the prophecies of Daniel. On the island of Patmos, God pops the hood on this empire and shows John. This is this is the core reality. This is the warp core. This is the drive. This is this is where it all happens. What does John see? John sees a harlot, a whore, a prostitute riding on the back of a seven-headed beast. So that's kind of where we are today. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I want to break up the understanding what the beast is and, and understanding what the Bible says about the beast into a, a couple of different parts. Um, and it'll probably change as I venture into this territory. But right now, I want to break it up. This episode, we're going to get into who is the beast, the identity, um, the identity of the beast. Um, and then in another episode, I want to get into the origin and the destiny of the beast, where, where the, the beast comes from and where the beast is headed to, right? That'll, be in, that'll probably be the next episode. 
And then finally, I want to break out the what is the beast. And when I'm talking about the, the governmental structure of ancient Rome and how it relates to the beast in Revelation chapter 13, um, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual nuts and bolts of how this beast comes together, the different components of the beast. So that'll be in a couple of episodes, and that'll actually give me a little bit of time to do a little bit more study and looking into this. But right now, I'm feeling pretty confident in this episode, where I want to take this episode. It's pretty straightforward. It's also very profound um, to understand the identity of the beast. Like, who is this? Who are we dealing with here? Is this is this an alien? Is it, where is this? You know, who is this guy? What is it? Like, that's what I want to get into. Um, so, f- just go ahead. We'll open up your Bible to Revelation chapter seventeen. It's actually probably not going to be the the longest episode. It's probably going to be pretty because I'm really drilling into a specific subject here, and I don't need to get into a whole bunch of other. Um, uh, you know, facets and dynamics of this reality. I just need to zero in on the identity of this beast and how it relates to a couple of chapters. So Father, we ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would visit us by your word, Lord, that you would bring living understanding, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, God, to receive from you, that you have made these things known as an expression of your glory. Father, you are showing us, you know the end from the beginning, God. You see it all. You saw the final empire of human history long before it was ever created by man, Lord. You knew this from the beginning, and you have been cluing us in on it for thousands of years, And we're asking, God, that you would bring clarity in your word. Where there's been darkness and confusion before, Lord, we're asking for a a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit, that you would transform our minds, that we would, in the renewing of our minds by the Spirit of God, that the glory of Jesus and the kingdom and gospel of Jesus Christ would be declared and be made known, God. And I just, I'm asking, Father, for my brothers and sisters, God, that, you know, might be struggling right now. Um, they might be, have, they might have all sorts of things going on. They might be in a very dark place. God, I'm asking you to break in with light right now. Show them the hope that you have set and anchored forever in Jesus Christ, that no matter what is happening in our circumstances, we can fix our hope and be unmoved and unshaken that if we will set our faith and believe in you, Lord, you will lead us on. So God, we just just lay everything down, everything that we've thought we've known, all of our pride, our ambition, all of what we think we know, God, we just subject it to your word. And we say, let your truth remain. Clear your threshing floor in our minds, Lord. We just ask you anything that's chaff in our minds, any thoughts that just are not, do not adhere to your word, are not anchored in the truth. Traditions of men and 
and, and, and shallow thinking and just shortcuts, Lord, that we've accepted, but we have not truly grounded ourselves in the word of God. We're asking that you would ground your church in your word, that she would be anchored in you. God, use this episode, use my preaching, use the ministry of those who are listening now to anchor your bride in your truth, that she would be unshakable in the days ahead. Even when great shaking is released in the earth, your bride, fully confident in you, under your leadership, your direct leadership, Jesus, that's what we're after, that you would lead us on in this, God. You would lead us. We look to you, faithful God. We look to you, Holy One of Israel. We bless the name of Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us, that washes away all of our sins. We just welcome your spirit, and we look to your word, Father. Speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. In chapter 17, John sees the vision of the prostitute riding on the back of the beast. We talked about that. That's S-P-Q-R. That is the Senate and the people of Rome, right? The, the people are the harlot. This is the inverse of the bride. This is the city of the fallen. I'll get into that actually probably in the, I don't know, next, maybe the three episodes from now, uh, tackling the prostitute. Who is the prostitute? Because when you're talking about Revelation chapter 17, you're talking about the revelation of two mysteries. The first mystery is the harlot, the people of the fallen, the great city, right? This is the final expression of Rome. This is the antithesis, the opposite of the new Jerusalem. This is not new Jerusalem. This is the opposite. This is Babylon the great. This is not the bride. This is the opposite of the bride. This is the prostitute. This is the city of the fallen. Okay. That's that. That's, and, and there's a lot to be said about the harlot. I'm not, I'll, I'll tackle that later. So two mysteries we under, uh, are revealed in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. The first, the first mystery that's revealed is the, the harlot. The second mystery that's revealed is the beast. And I'm going to zero in on the revelation of the mystery of the beast in one single facet in this episode, and that is the identity of the beast. Who is it? Who are we dealing with here? So after John sees the woman riding on the back of the beast, it picks up in verse 7. The angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. We're going to focus in here on verse 8. This is where we're going to lock in. This is where we're going to stay. And then we'll tackle the other verses in later episodes. So please stay tuned. I might not get into the exact thing that you're hoping I get into on this episode, but I'm going to get into a key reality. And that is verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise. Okay, so the beast, the angel comes and is explaining to John, like, okay, John, you saw the beast with seven heads and you saw the, the prostitute that was riding on the back of the beast. 
I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman, and I'm going to tell you the mystery of the beast. Which beast? The beast that was, is not, and is about to rise. So who is this that was, is not, and is about to rise? Here's what I believe this is telling us. It's telling us of one who makes two appearances. He makes his appearance at the beginning of human history, and he makes another appearance at the end of history, right? This entity is like the book ends of all of human history. In the beginning and in the end. So he who was, back at the beginning, who is not, he's, he's not present on the earth for the, this middle section of history, and is about to rise. So the one who was in the beginning is about to rise. So at the end, so the book ends of, of, of human history. This entity was in the beginning, and this entity comes back right at the end. Well, who could that be? Hmm. Let me think about that. Hmm. Well, there was this entity that seems like the Bible's saying he was in the beginning. It's a serpent, started out as a serpent. And then at the end of the age, returns as a beast, right? The serpent beginning, the beast at the end, right? So there is an, an embodiment of, of who? Well, we know that the serpent was Satan. We know that the seven-headed dragon is Satan. We know Satan was physically present in the garden. And we know the dragon becomes physically present at the end of the age. So this entity is physically present in the beginning, and he is physically present on the earth at the end. So the dragon, a.k.a. Satan, the accuser, I prefer the name Apollyon, the destroyer. He is the destroyer who was present in the garden as a serpent, is not, through all of the middle section of history, he is not physically present on the earth and is about to rise so that serpent is prophesied to rise again and become physically present in the earth just as he was physically present in the garden so this beast this entity that's being prophesied in Revelation 13, 
that rises out of the sea, comes out of the sea with seven heads, goes to war with the saints, onboards fallen humanity, is the physical, earthly embodiment of the serpent, Apollyon. We need to understand that the, in these two bookends, there is a direct line from Eden to Armageddon. And here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm here's what I'm hoping to do today is to show you the line that is can be drawn directly from the seduction of Eden straight into the destruction of Armageddon. Because something funny happens. Like if you just if you just take those two events, if you just take Eden, more, more specifically the fall of man in Eden, right? The, the, the partaking of the fruit. If you take the scenario in Eden, what's happening there, and then you hold it up against what's happening in Revelation chapter 16 with the with Armageddon. Something went terribly wrong between Eden and Armageddon. I mean, that might be the understatement of the year, potentially. Um, something went very wrong between Eden and Armageddon. See, the scenario in Eden is God's perfect paradise. He creates a perfect paradise. It's good. He creates... Uh, Everything, everything that's made, right? The trees, the, the animals, the, the sea. He creates everything there is, and it's a perfect paradise, and it's a garden that is made. Specifically, he makes it for Adam. Like, I made this whole thing for you so that we can be together forever, right? This is like God's great gift of love to the crown of his creation, humanity, Adam and Eve together in love and unity, God welcoming Adam into the Trinitarian fellowship, fellowship of the Godhead. Come, Adam, I want to, I want to walk the garden with you. I want to, I want to talk with you. I want, to, I want to be with you forever. This fellowship, God welcoming humanity into this eternal fellowship. He creates all of creation as a perfect, beautiful gift for Adam. This is for you, Adam, right? So that's the scenario. Adam, all of the earth is under your authority. God gives Adam the authority over the earth. Adam, he tells Adam to name the animals. And Adam goes and names all of the, gives names to all of the animals. God didn't give them names. He let Adam name them. Why? Because God, as a gift to Adam, gives Adam authority over this realm that God has created, right? This beautiful gift of love, this invitation to fellowship with God forever. The, the, the 
the crowning of Adam as a, as a king over this realm, that together God and Adam would rule over the created realm and everything would be subject to Adam, right? This beautiful, beautiful picture, the Garden of Eden. Then you fast forward to Revelation 19, the very end, right? And you have verse 17 in Revelation 19, if you want to turn there real quick and read that. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, quote, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, their riders, and the flesh of men, both free and slave, both small and great. Unquote. Something went awry between Eden and Armageddon. John sees an angel speaking to the birds of the air, telling them God has made prepared a special supper for the birds of the air. Like, hey, birds, I got good news. God made you a supper. Oh, wow, cool. Thanks, God. What's, what's, on, the, <laughs> what's on the menu tonight, God? Ah, oh, the flesh of kings and the, the, the flesh of all of, of mankind, all of the fallen anyway, all of the fallen of mankind, come and eat your fill. Eat the flesh of kings. Eat the flesh of the fallen. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait a second. Wait, these are the same guys you gave authority. God, you gave Adam, authority over every beast of the field, to name them, to rule over them, to together with you reign over the created order. Okay, that's, that's Eden. That's beautiful, lovely, man. I uh, love that. And, but now you're calling the birds of the air to eat the same creation that you gave all of creation to like, as a gift Creation is actually consuming the ones that you gave this creation to as a gift. God, what? what? Uh, Adam is supposed to be naming those birds. Adam is supposed to be commanding those birds. And those birds are eating Adam now. They're eating him at the invitation of God. God is inviting the birds to eat Adam. Something went wrong. Something went terribly wrong between Eden and Armageddon. What ha- Adam, Adam, what happened? How did you go from being the crown of God's creation? How did you go from being over all that God had created to reign with God over it all? To being eaten. You're being eaten eaten by your own, what you're supposed to be ruling over. You're being eaten by it at God's invitation. God, God. It's not like the birds are just flying around going like, ah, I don't know. What's, 
what's down there to eat? You know, like, ah, should we go fishing again? Or maybe we can, you know, eat some frogs on the, on the shoreline. No, no, God's beckoning them. He's like, no, no, guys, you don't have to eat. You don't have to eat any more of those nasty minnows. You don't have to eat any more of those insects or anything. Come on over here, guys. Eat this. God is telling the birds to eat Adam. Adam, what happened? Why? What happened, man? Where did it go wrong, dude? Oh, that's right. That's right, Adam. You gave the keys to a snake. That's right. You did that, didn't you? God gave you the keys, and then you handed the keys over to a snake. That's right. At the beginning, he was a snake. But it says he who was, who is not, he disappears thousands of years. Then he comes back at the end. He's the bookends of creation. So what he started in the beginning, he's going to finish at the end. This Apollyon, this destroyer, destroyer of humanity. He's going to finish what he started. What started, what Satan started in Eden, he will finish in Armageddon. And that is the line that I want to draw for you today so that there's no question in your mind where this thing is going so that you're not deceived by it. Because you know what? What Satan is really good at is making something really evil look really cool, look really beautiful. He's really good at taking pure darkness and and glittering it up, making it look like light. So there's a lot of folks who are going to think like, yeah, you know what? This whole eating the fruit thing is actually, I think it's going to work out. I think, you know, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and, you know, not really needing God at all, actually just getting God completely out of the, the equation. Let's just get the creator out. This, I think this is going to work. I think we can make it work. That's where this is going, right? So before we get there, what was it, Apollyon, that you did to get the keys? Apollyon, how did you get the keys from Adam? How did you wrest those keys away from him? God gave Adam the keys over creation, and you wrested those keys. You usurped Adam's authority, became the prince of the power of the air, the king of the fallen. How did you get those keys? Oh, that's right. You promised Adam and Eve a shortcut to become like God, didn't you? That's, that's what it was. Adam, Eve. God doesn't want you to be like him. Lie. God does want you to be like him. And the way he wants to, to make you like him is in loving, trusting, faithful, beautiful fellowship and relationship, right? Obedient relationship to him. God says, you trust me, you obey me, you follow me. I promise I'll make you just like me. 
You'll be just like me. God, that's so cool. I get to be like you. So I'm going to be able to sit on the throne and, and, and throw lightning bolts at people and destroy them and, and do anything I want, right? Is that, uh, that's actually not like me, God says. That's, that's actually like my enemy. If you want to like sit and like destroy things with lightning bolts, that's actually not like God. That's actually like his enemy. And I'm not going to make you like my enemy. I'm going to make you like me, God says, right? Well, God, so what? You, you don't like just sit on your throne and just destroy people with lightning bolts all day? What do you do? Actually, I pour myself out for others. <sighs> Actually, I expend myself in love. I, I give and give and give. I pour out the rain on the, on the wicked and on the good. I bless my enemies. I love those who curse me. Oh, that's what it means to be like God. Yes, that is the glory of God. You see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. I'll make you, I promise you, you trust me, you obey me, I'll make you just like my son. Oh, okay, cool. But what if we don't want that version of you? What if we just want the, what if we just want the lightning bolt version where we get to destroy everybody and we just get to do whatever we want? What if we want that? Oh, in that case, I've got just the guy for you. He's coming to you as a serpent. His name is Apollyon. He's a destroyer. So like you want to just live all for you, just completely for you and destroy everything else except whatever you care about or whatever you want to do that day. The perfect, you've got, I've got the perfect guy for you. His name's Apollyon. He's going to come as a snake. What he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, we don't need God do we? We don't need him. We'll bypass God. We'll shortcut him. We'll become just like him and we'll expel him. We'll get him out of here. It'll be us, just Apollyon and Adam and Eve together. And we'll rule the created order together. Eat the fruit. Take the path of intelligence. You will become like God and you won't even have to, you won't even have to relate to him. You can join me in my rebellion. Join me in my plot of total destruction. It'll all be about you. It'll all be about we'll all get what we want together. So if you, so God says, well, if, if you don't want to be like Jesus and you want to be like my enemy and you want to be really smart, and you want to take the pathway of intelligence and not take the pathway of loving obedience. Take the path, you're not going to take the, the path of faith. You're going to take the path of delusion, right? You're not going to take the path of truth. You're going to take the path of lawlessness. I've got just the guy for you. He's coming. He's going to, he's going to book end all of history. He's going to come in the beginning as a snake, and he's going to promise you, you can become just like God. All you got to do is embrace intelligence, ever increasing intelligence as the pathway to the throne of God. You don't need God, right? Says the serpent. All you need to do is build your tower into the clouds. Use your technological advances. Use your ever-growing intelligence to build into heaven and then expel God, take his place, 
get rid of him altogether, right? This is Satan's plan. That's what he did in heaven. Like Satan's after the throne of God. That's, that's, he, if he could destroy heaven, he would do it. Jesus rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of God, expels Apollyon, the destroyer. There is no place in heaven for the accuser anymore. The destroyer's gone. He's out of heaven, which is really good news for heaven. Really bad news for the earth because actually now he's active on the earth now. Like all of his menacing destruction, all the stuff he wants to do is now activated on earth. And the Bible says this identity of the beast is one who was in the beginning, the bookend, the first bookend. He is not. He disappears for a while and then he comes back. He's about to rise. Apollyon starts out as a snake, ends as a beast. So when he comes back, this beast, what is he, what is what is this? What's he gonna do? What what's what's his what's his end game? What's his big agenda? Like you already got everybody caught, you already got the fallen caught in sin. You're all already onboarding fallen humanity. You're all you've already marked them in their right hands or foreheads. You've already marked them with the name, the number, the, the digital nature of the beast. You've already onboarded. That's not enough. Apollyon wants to destroy the image of God in the fallen. He wants to replace the image of God with the image of the beast. He wants to destroy this abomination of desolation, destroy the image of God in the temple of God, the human frame, expel God from his creation. But he's not done yet. What is this final step that he wants fallen humanity to take? If you want to know where it all heads, you got to open up your Bible, right? Where does Eden, the seduction of Eden, lead to? What is the final result of the seduction of Eden? The, f- the final result of Eden's seduction The final result of Eden's seduction is Armageddon's destruction, okay? Eden's seduction leads a straight line to Armageddon's destruction. The serpent who pitched the, you can be like God. What is built into that phrase? You will be like God. It means he'll take his place. It means... You don't need them anymore. It means you join my rebellion and we will take God's place together. We'll build our tower into the heavens. We'll build our tower into the clouds and we'll expel God. Intelligence is the pathway. Intelligence opens up everything, including the dethroning of the almighty creator. That's the pitch. Same pitch as the garden. Intelligence is the pathway to dethrone God. So in the garden, Apollyon comes to Adam and says, you will be like God. Eat 
the fruit, the knowledge, the intelligence. Intelligence is the pathway to become like God. Join me in my cosmic rebellion. We will dethrone God together. We will expel him from his creation. That's where it all starts. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They hand over the keys of the authority that God gave them over in creation. They hand it over to Apollyon. Apollyon, here's your keys. Here's the keys to the creation. You will you usurp our authority, the authority that God gave to us. We're going to hand it over to you, and we're going to make you our king. And you can usurp the authority that God has given to us, and you can rule through our authority. That's where we leave off. And we have you know, thousands of years of that reality playing out. And then you have Apollyon at the end of history returning. What's he returning to do? He's returning to finish what he started. What did he start? He started an insurrection, a rebellion against God based on the lie that intelligence is the pathway to becoming like God. So what does it look like where you let that play out for thousands of years and then the final crescendo at the end of history, what does it look like for that scenario to play out fully? You have to open up to Revelation chapter 16. (sighs) Let's see. Verse 12. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of, the, of God Almighty. Verse 16. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So John sees this angel pouring out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And then verse 13 says, and I saw, he sees the dragon, he sees the beast, and he sees the false prophet. So all three of them, frogs coming out of their mouths. And what are these frogs? These frogs are deceiving spirits. They're demonic spirits that are released for a specific purpose. What is that purpose? These frogs go out into the earth to deceive people, to gather them to battle. And what's the battle? <laughs> what's the battle? The battle. It's the battle of Armageddon. Like this is creation going to war against creator. The battle of Armageddon is the fallen, right? Satan, his demons, 
fallen humanity that's under his power, all gathered together as one to do what? To fight? (laughs) To fight against God. Like, does God think that? Yeah, okay. Does God think that's funny? Yes. God thinks that's funny. He thinks it's funny. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why, why, do these, why does fallen humanity gather itself against God and against his anointed? What? It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs at them. He points and he laughs. God thinks it's funny that they're going to try to fight him. It's, he thinks it's funny. That is how deluded Adam has become. Adam has become so deluded that he thinks he can fight against God. Like, come on, everybody. Let's go fight against the one who made us. Um, okay. There's a fundamental misunderstanding between created and creator. Okay, one depends on the other. The other doesn't depend on the other at all. If one ceases to exist, the other one ceases to exist. Like there's, there's God cannot cease to exist. Like there's no way to, <laughs> there's no way to win. Literally, logically, philosophically, theologically, I don't care in what in what sense you package it, there is no way for the created to defeat their creator. It, does, it cannot happen. It cannot happen. It is a logical impossibility. And God thinks it's funny that they believe it. Adam, the one God crowned, the crowning achievement of God's creation, the one that... That, that God gave creation as a gift to rule over. He gave him the keys, the authority to rule over creation. Here he is being gathered together. Adam's being gathered together to a field of battle. To do what? To fight against the creator. The one who gave creation to him. Why is Adam, Adam, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Because the snake told me to. That serpent who told me the lies about intelligence, the one who said I could be like God, is still schlepping the same line. And Adam is still believing it. And now believing it at a level that Adam is going to go to war with the creator of everything, like the universe, not just this world, but all of the solar systems, all of the galaxy, all of the universe, everything, creator, heaven and earth. Adam, what are you going to fight him with? You're going to fight them with your technology? 
You're going to zap them with your really smart weapons? Like, Adam, what happened? He fell for Apollyon. Apollyon walked him right in to it. The destroyer. The one who came to Adam. Adam, you can be like God. Eat the fruit. Take the pathway of intelligence to expel your creator. Adam eats the fruit. Hands over the keys. At the end of time, that serpent returns. Not not as a serpent this time, but as a beast. Comes back to Adam with the same line. Adam, intelligence is the pathway to expel God. Adam, oh my goodness, wow, we are really learning a lot these days and knowledge just is expanding and intelligence seems to unlock every possibility. So I guess it is possible that we could apply our intelligence at such a level that we could defeat God. Hmm. Is that the idea? Well, God has an idea for you. He is going to bring you to a field of battle to fight him. And then when you lose, God's going to call the creation that you were supposed to rule over with him. He's going to call that creation to eat you, Adam. He's going to give you the destiny that you have chosen with Apollyon, the destroyer. That's the travesty of the fall of fallen humanity. That is how far it will be twisted. What Satan began with fruit, he told Adam, eat the fruit. That's the first lie. The final lie is a frog comes out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're speaking in unity. And it's a deceptive frog, deceptive spirit that goes out performing signs to do what? To gather fallen Adam to a field of battle where he will go to war against his creator. What started as fruit ends with a frog who start he who started out as a serpent ends up as a beast that is the straight line that runs from eden to armageddon the cre- the creation the crowning the crown of god's creation falls under the power of the serpent and is led to a point where creation itself picks the bones of Adam. The desolation of the fallen. We see it playing out again. Revelation chapter 17 says in verse 14. I'll, I'll, I'll revisit these passages later on in some, some episodes that are coming up. I'm, I'm not passing over everything. I'm just, like I said, I'm zeroing in on this 
identity of the beast. Who is this beast? Verse, seven, verse 14. This is Revelation 17, verse 14. Talking about the kings and the beast. They will make war on the lamb. And the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. Here's what fallen Adam doesn't seem to want to come to terms with. God, almighty creator, has given his son, Jesus Christ, because of the worth of who he is, because he is worthy. The worthy one came down, became a servant, died even a death on a cross, went into the uttermost parts of the earth, into Sheol itself. The highest one went down to the lowest place. On the third day, rose again, and then ascended to the right hand of God. And now he has given authority over all of creation. He has authority in heaven. All authority in heaven is his. All authority on the earth is his, and all authority under the earth. There is no place where his authority is not complete. God has made this Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords. And no authority in this earth is greater. Call yourself whatever you want. Get as much money as you can. Get as much intelligence as you can. Get as much technological advancements as you can. Put it all together. Wrap it up in a big box. The very best, most powerful, most consolidated piece of power and authority you can get together. Put it all together. And guess what? You are still under the authority the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus has total authority over heaven, over the earth, and everything under the earth. He has been given a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And fallen Adam will learn the hard way. But those who join with this Jesus, those who believe in his name, those who don't want to live for themselves, but want to live for the glory and the will of God, Jesus says, come, come to me. All you are thirsty. Do you thirst for righteousness? Are you a peacemaker? Come to me. I will make you just like me. I'll make you just like me. You want to be like God? Good. God wants to make you like God too. But what he won't do is he will not make you like his enemy. If you want to be like his enemy, you're going to have to follow his enemy. If you want to be like 
the devil, you're not going to be able to follow Jesus to do it. You're going to have to choose a different path. That path is paved through the love of self, lawlessness, pleasures. But if you will lay down your life, if you will believe, if you will take your faith and adhere to the truth of the word of God, everything the word of God says about Jesus, everything the word of God says about God, about humanity, about evil and sin, if you will believe the truth, God will make you just like him. If you will trust, obey, if you will love the Lord your God, God promises, I'll make you just like me. I'll make you an anchor that nothing can move. That's the promise. That's the call. And that is the witness that the Lord will raise up in these last days. A church, a bride that is unified in love will stand up against unmoved a prostitute, fallen humanity that is chasing after Apollyon and will suffer the same fate. So I think that pretty much sums it up for today. Just wanted to draw that line from Eden to Armageddon. Wanted to show you that the identity of the beast is he who was who is not and is about to rise. It is this entity who bookends all of humanity's history from Eden to Armageddon. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil becomes the frogs that gather fallen humanity for the day of battle, the great day of, the, of God Almighty when the fallen will gather together along unified with Apollyon to make war against their creator. And they will be destroyed by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one whose name is above every name, the one who is the true representative, the true representation of the image of God, the fullness of the image of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. That if you will look upon that face today, if you will trust in that name today, God will deliver you and save you and raise you up the last day. He will save you completely. You will be his. You will be called faithful and true. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Are you chosen? God has chosen you. Are you hearing my voice? Are you hearing the spirit of God speak to you today? Is the spirit of God stirring you today to respond to him? Even now, he is one prayer away from you. It's not by accident that you're hearing this. God is speaking to you. He loves you. He died for you. He hung on a cross and took your sins into his body and suffered so that you be 
with him forever. So believe in Jesus, declare the gospel, reminding you, all my saints, all my friends out there, hey, if you can, please uh, subscribe to this. I don't even know really what happens, but I'm trying to gather uh, some just more support, more energy. I'm feeling the Lord's on this. I believe a lot of people are getting blessed by this. And, and, and a movement of God is a, is a participatory reality, right? If the Lord is moving you, I need you to act, right? Subscribe, leave a review, shoot me an email, go on my website, tell me like, hey, how, this is touching you. Like I, I had my brother Daniel reach out to me, super huge blessing, appreciate Daniel. And my, my brothers and sisters on Twitter, as always, thank you for the encouragement. I'm just trying to get a groundswell moving in this direction and the word of God aligning ourselves with the word of God. So please uh, subscribe, please leave comments, please just be active. Let me know you're out there. It's very encouraging to me knowing that like that God is actually using me and his ministry through me into, the, into a lives like yours. So please, it's very helpful to me if I hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to the next episode. Should be coming out here in a couple of days. Um, probably jump into where the beast comes from, how he how he jumps this dimensional barrier, and then where he's headed to. Um, should be a fascinating episode. And then I'll want to get into the the beast, the the components of the beast. Like, what is the medium in which he is operating? Like there's, there's different components to it, understanding, pulling it apart, understanding how it's functioning, how it relates to uh, Roman government, all that stuff. So that's going to be a big episode. Um, and then, and then eventually getting into who is the harlot? What's the harlot? What's that all that about? The great prostitute I actually wrote a book about that. If you want to like zero in on that subject, very important to understand that subject. I've got a book called Babylon authored by myself, Peter Herter. Check it out if you get a chance. Um, otherwise, yeah. Hey, guys, thank you. God bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Bless your word. Bless your truth. And move by your spirit, God. Prepare your bride to meet you, to overcome everything that, the, that you said we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the glory of your name, and by the strength of your spirit, God, we just, we put all of our faith in you. We trust completely in you. Thank you for your word. So it's me signing off saying, hey guys, keep watching, watching the signs of the times. Keep praying. Praying is how we participate in God's redemptive purposes in the earth. Watching, praying, and proclaiming the gospel. Testify of the kingdom of God in every way you can testify of his goodness, testify of his saving power, declare the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode of Babylon's Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.